All right, welcome back. We're in the Video Game Academy dojo tonight to talk about a uh, very well-known and very well-deservedly famous part of Final Fantasy VI, um, the opera. Um, how's it going, Ben? It is going well, sir. And how, how did this did this uh, hold up in your esteem as you played it through again? Um, it was pretty solid. Uh, like, I mean, I still get chills every time. To be perfectly honest, like it, it's like the music is some of the best that Nobuo Uematsu ever put together. I mean, the the lyrics, despite the weird clunky translation like that line about the i'm the darkness you're the starlight is just so good all the time yeah um and i i was again playing with sarah and she even mentioned uh she said wait is this that song that you made us play at the wedding i'm like yes was i wrong to do it and she said no (laughs) Um, it's awesome and so she recognized that having heard it just the once well i've we like I have a rendition of it again, like the, the lovers of the final fantasy soundtrack are many and prolific. Um, and they've produced a number of different, uh, sort of open sourced, um, like renditions of this, this, the opera, especially, um, but the, the aria that Maria slash Sellas delivers, um, which is, you know, sort of like the focal point of the whole thing as far as we get it. Yeah. Um, there's a positively wonderful rendition with a, a, like, legit singer who is absolutely doing her best to just make it as soulful and heartfelt as possible. And I think it was that version that she heard. Um, and I, I have like, I've played it in other places. So it wasn't just the wedding where she'd heard it, but okay. she can recognize it from as the one that I insisted on in the wedding. Um, but I think like she's heard it several times since not a whole lot, but even, even boiling it down to the, the 16 bit version was enough to retain the melody. Yeah. What does that make you, um, Setzer, a blackjack playing world traveling casino dwelling free spirit. Does that make you Prince Rouse, the the villain? Does it make you Draco, the lost love? Um, who? How do we sort of get straight? Who's or maybe it's Locke, right? Is he the um, the love interest here? What what's going on with all these? Uh, it's not exactly a wedding, but a kind of uh, romantic uh, nebulae of of people coming together. Yeah. I think it's interesting just all by itself that like Sellas is the focal point of this love pentagram or whatever it is. <laughs> um, insofar as we do have all of these characters sort of orbiting her, um, both the ones that are in the story and the ones that are out of the story. I mean, like just over the course of that half hour part of the opera, you have Locke and Sellas's relationship on display and then you have, in the context of the story, you have Draco and Rolfs both fighting over Maria. And then, of course, you get, like, the fourth wall broken as Ultros and Locke tumble into the stage. <laughs> and then, you know, they fight over her. And then Setzer just comes and whisks her away, <laughs> which was yeah. the plan all along. Like, this was just a bait and switch um, the whole time. And, you know like each character does have that different relationship. Like within the context of, of the opera, you kind of get this 
I want to say Troilus and Cressida sort of situation. Yeah. Um, like it, it definitely evokes the Romeo and Juliet balcony scene insofar as like she's climbing up the tower and like throws the the roses off the off the balcony but at the same time like just plot wise you know you've got two warring armies both of which have a vested interest in this one character um and that's a little more troilus i think than romeo mm-hmm. um, well, it's not just two armies it's the east and the west yeah which I is itself very evocative yeah. i mean Especially, you know, because this is a very Japanese JRPG and very much is the East as we tend to to think of it yeah. and we the West. Um, so there is sort of like this struggle of ideals, this battle over like what is her role, like even in Eastern or Western philosophy. Like it doesn't get deep into it. We don't see enough of Rawls to be able to say. Um, I'm not even sure we can we can identify like any concrete philosophy or political agenda that either has. It's just, you know, the West and the East are at war. Yeah. Ross is the member of the East. She, he presumably has access to Maria, but she's in love with Draco of the West. Nonetheless, like it, it's, it's tough to parse out. We don't get a whole lot to work with. No, um, it's, it's very down to the essentials, right? It, it's, yeah. and then that way, very true to the opera uh, genre or whatever, right? The form. Where exactly, you yeah. These, you know, caricatures, more or less cliche stock characters that you, you fill with beautiful music and um, visuals and, and uh, the spectacle of it all, right? Um, yeah. And, and at the same time, though, it's sort of like, at the same time as opera is full of those, those characters, they're like the very best of them aspire to the mythic, yeah. um, where it's something not like less than a character but more than a character and you know you think of like don giovanni and you know don juan the lover who is just larger than life like a force of nature kierkegaard describes him as um and like he ultimately coming to his doom when the statue beats down his wall um here we have the same sort of like mythic significance like even if we can't pin down the motivations of draco and ralts the east and the west you get this sense of like this long-standing war and she's sort of caught in the center of it in love with one character, but sort of beloved by another and caught in this political necessity. Yes. Yes. And that, yeah, there I see the connection to the Troilus Cressida um, sort of situation um, in that you've got a war over a woman um, Mm -hmm. essentially. Right. And, that woman is not just any woman, right? She's the most beautiful. Uh, yeah. The the um, the face that launched ten thousand. That's there it is. There it is. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, you launched a single airship, but that's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> uh, very respectable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you also, as you say, um, you get a lot more. I feel like this tells us more about our characters who they are as individuals and who they might represent as well. Um, even then like those, those more extensive um, backstory sort of flashback things that we saw last time. Um, I feel like there's something about this way of presenting the story. Um, as, as you mentioned, it's very complex. There's a lot of sort of levels of it, but, um, but there's something about it that, 
that seems, I don't know how to say it. It's just better, right? Than, than that other way of so, so showing us like the backstory. And um, it's, it's no, it's no less cliche in its own way, but maybe that's, that's the, um, the trick. Like you said, that it's, it's reaching towards um, something more mythic and the way that it does it is through a, um, a pretty self-conscious kind of spectacle um, that, you know, we, we are part of the audience here. Like our, our characters are literally like sitting in this um, upper mezzanine or whatever, you know, this is up here and, um, and watching and they comment on it too, um, which is pretty hilarious when, if Sabin's in your party, he's like, um, like, why is everybody singing? So <laughs> just like, I don't know what's going on. Um, but, um, but man, so Celis is like, she embodies this character, Maria. Mm -hmm. um, she reads the script, you know, like once and just like knows the whole thing, mm -hmm. um, except for like three lines that you have to help her with. Right. right. Um, and throughout it, the way that she's sort of caught is, is conveyed to you because you have to be like on top of the timing. Um, mm -hmm. You can't, you can't let a, a lot of stuff um, pass you by or else you, you get um, booed off. And I, I don't know, I didn't actually mess up this time. I just, um, I just click things really quickly. Yeah. But I know that I've messed up in other playthroughs and had to uh, redo it. And um, does the audience, do they like boo at you or something? Or does it just like say, Oh no, we messed up. We have to try again. Yeah, I forget exactly how it works. Um, I noticed this time around, though, I didn't even hit the right one the first time. I just moused over it, and then it just apparently took that and ran, um, okay. which happily was the correct one anyway. Uh, but I know in the past, like, I, I forget whether they boo you off or if, you know, you just run through it anyway. Um, like, I don't remember ever having to restart it, but it could be that I was just, like, fastidiously careful about my lines. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but I, I think it's one of those, no, we just press through situations, uh, but I don't know. You don't get any particular reward either for doing it correctly. No. Um, you just progress, right? But at the same time, you know, like the scene is sort of its own reward, I suspect. Uh, like, yeah. I mean cutscenes have often been used as a reward in video games like you do the you beat the boss and then you get to see the story progress um this one's kind of different insofar as the story isn't progressing while the opera is taking place <laughs> or at least not directly like the plot is not even if the characters are um but i think all the same just there is it is sort of its own reward and if there is a mistake that you can make i think it screws up the balcony like you don't actually get to see her throw the flowers if you mess it up uh. um like she just skips ahead um so you know that again that like really poignant moment as she reaches out to her beloved far away unknown um that's that's sort of it's the reward that you get like you get that catharsis yeah, no, and the, there's like a series of things you have to do correctly as Celis, and then there's a series of things you have to do correctly as um, Locke and his uh, his pals, whoever they 
might be at this point. Um, mm. Right. And I think, I think I also messed up and was too slow getting where I needed to oh, be to stop yeah. the, um, the four ton weight dropping. Those like, darn rats. They're so annoying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I definitely didn't get there in time at least once last time I played. Um, but yeah, we, were, we were down to the wire on ours, but we, we did in fact pull it off. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot, I mean, there's just a lot of, um, yeah, I guess I'll just say like timing involved here, which is, um, I think a sort of a staple of final fantasy games. There's always sort of these stints in the game where you have to do things quickly and you're, you're running against the clock. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, that this game probably was breaking some new ground in just how complex this one is. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a number, you got to like pull the right switch um, for some reason. You have to run around and you can see the rats. Like you can, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe avoid them if you time it right. I'm not sure. I, think I was it- not able to avoid a single one of them. So like, <laughs> and they didn't even seem to hit me in some cases. I was like, all right, I'm going to back off and wait for them to pass. And I was like, surprise, you're fighting them now. <laughs> so I don't know how the collision detection worked on that. It seemed like you could avoid it because there were alternate paths around them. Yeah. Um, but even so, I, I if there's a way to do it, I was not successful. Yeah, no, I was not. They're, they're too fast for me. On the plus side, as difficult and sort of harrowing as getting through the rats is, um, Ultros himself, okay, I don't know. I, I think I killed him in like two hits. Like, yeah. I got a critical hit with somebody, but yeah, he went down fast. I don't think he really attacked me at all. Yeah, I had Gal in the party um, because, again, I was training training the weaklings and I had him on Templar mode and he dropped two fire twos on him in a row and he <laughs> was just out. Yeah. Like, But it, it's kind of a shame, honestly, because I, I remember from fighting him earlier, like, there's this whole thing that he does. Like, he gets really into the acting if you if you keep him alive long enough. Like, he writes a letter and he, like, what? dares you to read it. I mean... Uh, I was looking at the script again just to sort of remind myself of what I was doing, and I read all of Ultras' lines, and he's got some pretty crazy stuff that he does. Um, yeah. Is that so, only in the remake, or is that from the original? I think it's in the original. It's just, again, yeah, but you you know how, like, he, he starts off the whole I'm going to infiltrate the opera thing by by dropping the letter and caught, and hoping that you're going to read it, and you completely miss it. And nobody it's sees like, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's got that da like foiled again. Um, but but he sort of plays on that in the boss fight. Like he'll take a break in between attacking you and like write you a letter and get you to try and read it for him. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's you know, Ultras is our comical recurring enemy, and this is probably him just hamming it up even more than usual. Like, even without that, you, you can tell that he's sort of getting into it. He's got that octopus royalty line. Yeah. After he trashes, uh, after he, like, lands on Ross. Um, so, he, like, he's very much the dastardly villain behind the scenes. Like, even the four-ton weight is just silly and, like, very vaudeville. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, it's 
it adds another story, another layer to everything that's going on. Like at the same time as we've got this Troilus and Cressida epic romance, we also have the Phantom of the Opera sneaking around the scenes with mm-hmm. his army of rats uh, trying to take out the the diva um, and fails miserably, comically, ridiculously. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's the one who knocks you guys down, right, into yep. the stage. And so, yeah, he... Um, he proceeds, yeah, to, uh, or not, not he, but Locke proceeds to sort of like regain his consciousness most quickly. And, um, and he, he makes that, that bridge between the stage play world and um, the Final Fantasy VI world, I guess, right? And yeah. saying that he's going to, he himself is going to um, save her. Um, the impresario sort of just bows to the like necessity of allowing this adventurer to fight the octopus royalty. Um, But he also bad acting. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any comment. Yeah. And then as he, he sort of lets that happen. um, The direction of the screen like flips around. And so now you're facing out towards the audience Mm -hmm. and towards the, uh, the music, the musician's pit or whatever there. Mm so you're sort of like um, on stage too. Like for the first time, you're sort of flipped around and inside of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was really, really interesting. Um, that there's, you know, first of all, that um, conscious break and bridging and attempt to sort of patch it up. There's that um, commenting on the action and like actually cr- criticizing it um, mm-hmm. in like a funny way. But, you know, that's that's unusual and then the positioning of you as um the spectacle right you are the thing that everyone out there is watching suddenly um Mm -hmm. in all of those respects i thought that this was uh pretty brilliant um i wish that the battle went on longer and i guess that was my bad to like end it too quickly (laughs) i thought that was what that was what surprised me most most playing it this time was how quickly it went and you know part of that is is required um but i would i I really wanted to sort of relish this a little bit more because it's it's pretty excellent um but yeah you you can't uh you just have to replay it i guess and and break it down um to see more of uh of altruis's whimsical attacks and uh letter writing and whatnot um so yeah so there's um the uh the the what do we call it kidnapping that takes place at that point um from setzer who's um got a really cool like triumphant theme that comes along with him when he's introduced um it's almost like we're supposed to know about him um everyone seems to think he's pretty famous and pretty great um but uh you know, he really just comes out of nowhere. He seems, I don't know, kind of extraneous after all of this. Um, how, how does he how does he fit in, do you suppose, with the opera, if at all? I mean, it's, again, he sort of also operates as that, like, phantom of the opera character, hiding behind the scenes, you know, doing his own thing. Um, and, and you get that same sense of, like, gentility, like he's got a history and he's, you know, 
like everyone describes him as, as this sort of like puckish rogue behind the scenes. Like he's, he's got all this money. He's got all this influence. He's, he's a wealthy noble, like besides Edgar, that's not what you're used to encountering in this game. And even Edgar, he's sort of provincial by comparison. And the guy has an airship. He can go wherever he wants. Um, like as much as Edgar's, digging castle is great it's only really got the two places it goes um and it's very much in the middle of nowhere in either case um but setzer setzer's got this dazzling urbanite quality every time that you encounter him um and i i also like associate him with just like han solo or other characters who you know they are I think he's described as a free spirit in little character description, but you know, being connected to the airship means that he has a freedom that nobody else does in this world. Um, Like, I think he even mentions that it's like one of his is the only airship that exists at this point in time, which is a bit of a mislead, but even, even so um, you like as, as much as he, he doesn't seem to add very much to the party besides being the guy with the car um but at the same time like he i feel like he has every bit as much character as any of the other participants at this point um even if it's downplayed somewhat like he's really in this for the fun of it um in a way that most of the characters are not like they're they all have their various investments tara is not here by choice Locke is protecting her Celis is rescued and now trying to get back at the people who wronged her you know sabin's completing his training and edgar's defending his homeland and gal is just along for the ride but where else is he going to go and cyan is getting over all of his losses but here's setzer who's just like yeah this sounds like a good use of my time like this sounds like fun let's go have an adventure let's go break some heads um and he well he says like it's almost like he doesn't have a concept of good and evil like yeah. to not realize that the empire is evil like is a little bit preposterous. Um, and also that he's made a lot of money. He mentions this at some point, right? He's been, he's gained a lot of wealth, I guess, by, by playing blackjack against, um, you know, middle managers in the empire or something like uh, presumably he's kind of on the top of that, um, that profiteering food chain we were kind of noticing Mm-hmm. Um, over the past few episodes, I guess, with, you know, the, um, the different sociological uh, dynamics at play in, um, in the town that's got the auction house versus the... Yeah, Jadur. Versus Zozo. Versus Zozo, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jador. Yeah, right. Um, and, and everyone there seems to know about him also. They, oh, yeah. I think they look up to him because he's so successful, right? And so um, literally high-flying. Mm-hmm. He's also... the he's got like some weird scars on his face or something. Is that just his hair? Like being wind? Yeah. I, th- I think it's his hair. Like he's just got the, the long silver wavy hair um, over his, you know, rakish like black and orange cloak. Like, I don't know. He always struck me as being super cool. I thought he was always like the coolest character among the final fantasy six uh, pantheon. Because as much as, you know, Locke is, has got, like, the Indiana Jones adventure thing going on, he's also really hapless. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and fails to live up to his own standard. 
Um, but Setzer, Setzer's always got it under control. Like set, you cannot catch Setzer flat footed. Um, and even like once he finally joins the party proper and he's got that gamble action where you're like matching the, the little slot wheels or something. It's just, you know, he like even battle for him is just a game. Right. Yeah. The way that you get him to join your party, Well, I guess he doesn't actually join yet cause he's going to watch the airship, but you, um, you do actually trick him, right? Celis yeah. has somehow figured out that that coin toss that the brothers did was fixed all along yeah. by big brother Edgar. He, uh, he had a coin that's got uh, two, two sides the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she goes over and like whispers to him and he lends it to her. He apparently still carries it around, I guess, as a memento. And, and so she, um, you know, lures she tempts sets her by using his love of gambling against mm-hmm. him here like she'll marry him or he has to help them out and uh obviously she uh she 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 fixes it right and so he yep. does get he does get bamboozled um for once and he loves He's also it. not upset about it like he takes it in stride he's like well you got me. Like <laughs> after all this time, me messing with other people, finally I've been had. Um, and it's almost like it's an accomplishment for him. Um, he's excited about it. So, you know, he, he definitely bears the party. No ill will. Um, yeah, no, that's true. I think in that sense, um, he is kind of the perfect uh, cool character the the one who's so above it all that even when he gets beaten like that's just that's just amusing to him right mm-hmm. um even when he uh well i don't know like he wanted to marry maria he still totally could because we've never seen maria <laughs> like right she, she has never actually made an appearance unless Celis has been living a double life this whole time <laughs> And is Maria, and that's why she knows the lines. She is Maria. No, I mean, but like, yeah, he just like completely forgets about that too. He's like, whatever. I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> yeah, I'm also struck though. You know, like as much as we never meet Maria, but everybody talks about Maria, I'm also always struck by the fact that Maria is the name of the character, ah. not the name of the actress. Oh yeah. Like Whoa. everybody talks about it, like it, it works in both cases that the character is the actress. But you know, since we never actually see the actress, the person who plays Maria, it's it could just as easily be the case that everybody just associates whoever the person playing Maria is with the character itself. Um, but that's you know that just adds another level of strangeness to Setzer's claim here. Like he wants to marry Maria, he loves Maria. Yeah. Is Maria a person? Like is this a is this an actual being somewhere or is he just in love with this stage prop this uh-huh. character um which you know would very much fit into setzer's character if he was <laughs> in fact in love with a dream um like and and i think we run into that a little bit more later when when he's going after the second airship and we we sort of see the the depth of his aspirations and his wild dreams but you know it, it's just it's just this really interesting detail that like Maria is 
is not on stage because she can't be in some ways that maybe Sellas is playing that role because there isn't anyone else. And even when they say you look just like Maria, what do they mean by that? Like oh. she perfectly fits the description of the character or she is very similar to this actress. Um, either oh. one could be the case. That is so, yeah, I completely conflated the two and um, I love that. That's really great because um, somehow in the time it takes him to what grab her I'm trying to look at now all those little screenshots here in the time it takes him to grab Maria slash Celis on stage and that's like this little tiny part of the stage that's that's lit at that point lit mm -hmm. up he grabs her and in that moment she changes back into Celis I think mm -hmm. um, like the sprite now is goes from the Maria Sprite to the Cella Sprite. And he leaps up and with his rope or whatever it is, his um, uh, like Batman little uh, device, because he's essentially like that. And, yep. um, and he carries her off. He doesn't seem to notice at that point that she's changed. Right? Yeah, it's not even when he throws her into the, into the like prison cell the brig yeah. that he notices it's only after Locke and company have stowed aboard and he walks in and he's like wait hold on you're not maria <laughs> um you know when she's surrounded by the rest of the party then it's pretty darn obvious at that point but um even then again it's like no she's not maria <laughs> is there a maria <laughs> he's better looking she's more what is it more yeah. beautiful more, yeah even maria is not up to the level that Sellers is yeah. apparently. Um, and if anything, that should give us pause to think that like it's her in her general's uniform that brings out her own beauty, yeah. um, which is strange because Locke has the exact opposite reaction. That's like, right. When Locke walks into the dressing room for the first time and sees Sellers in the Maria outfit, like he's got his you know staggered, not knowing what to think lines like what is going on here yeah the little sprite There's... turns bright red oh yeah yeah it's great it's great yep. that's like... a lot of blushing in this section <laughs> oh yeah and so okay that's like a whole other thing then like what's going on in this opera story um clearly doesn't map on in any simple way to what's going on outside of the opera story um but there are all these like little ways in which there are curious kinds of echoes, overlaps, or straight up, you know, copies of the world of the opera and the world outside the opera. Um, and I think if we just, let's just like try to focus on the, the character of Maria, because I, I feel like there's something there. So, mm -hmm. okay, Maria is both the actress and the character somehow. She's mm -hmm. also not within the actual world of the game anywhere that we can actually see apparently yep. um, yet everyone knows about her um, okay then um, when Celis takes on the role she changes into a costume um, but she already looked like her exactly like her right to the right. point that people couldn't tell them apart um, so putting on the costume is a little extra it just seems to affect Locke mm -hmm. um, Celis is a general. <laughs> right. That's her. Like she is maybe the second most powerful magic user we know of or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so she is an incredible warrior, but 
she is willing to do this if it's going to help them get to vector right the, the right. empire um so she kind of takes this blow to her her pride right and um um does this kind of to her i guess a demeaning sort of she plays this role right yeah it's demeaning but at the same time she she's worried about it mm-hmm. she gets very self-conscious she she hides herself in the dressing room and starts to sing when nobody is looking at her and, and like Locke hears her and is is excited oh. about it but but there's something very demure about her her sort of move into this role mm-hmm. um like she goes from confident capable general with the occasional like pangs of guilt or concern or just anxiousness about not belonging like being part of the enemy um to being demure now in a different way like trying to be something that she's not trying to be you know a girly girl the like pawn of empires the the captive of Setzer, the bait um just an object like she's damseling herself basically yes, yes me become a you know helpless woman for you to fight over even though she obviously isn't to the point that she doesn't take part in that fight even mm-hmm. though she's right there on stage yeah presumably she can whip out her sword and do as much damage as any of the other party members but she doesn't participate she is still a bystander and she's still got the dress on i guess and she's well playing her role still i suppose exactly yeah interesting can't let down her guard at this point sets her is sets her is watching that's yes of course of course all right so Celis um sings all those lines um apparently like does just as good as a job singing as she does looking like maria Mm -hmm. uh, because nobody seems to notice anything's wrong as long as the player doesn't screw up really badly i guess right yeah um so there's that but um she also like i feel like especially in opera singing in order to make it believable you have to have the feeling behind it yes or, or it's not going to work and so so she somehow is able to conjure up what this character is supposed to be feeling as she sings these um you know romantic uh a little bit trite but perfectly operatic yes. you know lines of poetry um and and despite everything like like you said we watching it feel something really powerful as she does so in the uh you know the 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 tower in the dark kind of scene that we get there um it seems to conjure up the spirit of um that kind of lost love thing Mm -hmm. and and the the politics that come in to fill the space that had been occupied by something real that was lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, the sadness of that too, um, right? Prince Ross is waiting for his dance partner. Right. So if I, if I was gonna just like, again, because like, I keep insisting on this, I was gonna try to like map on a little bit. I feel like Ross is Sutzer there and mm-hmm. Locke is Draco. It seems to map pretty cleanly there. Um, if, if there's a hiccup there, it's because Ultros also maps onto Rolfs and sets her um, in trying to sort of unfairly steal her away. But it seems pretty clear just from, even from the way that it's staged uh, and the way that like we watch the events transpire. I mean, she, she sings about, missing her lost love who in the course of the story is draco she casts her bouquet out 
and after her her lines end, we cut to see Locke, and Locke saying, "You know, you really did it. Like that was really good." So Locke is moved at this moment. Like he's also transforming, but it it does sort of it lends itself to the interpretation that she is singing to Locke. Um, that the way that she's sort of mining her own emotion, like making this scene real, is just as her character sings to Draco, she is singing to Locke. And it it's, you know, it's obviously been been pointed to at this point in the story. Like Sella's is clearly attached to Locke, her her savior. Yeah. Um, even though, as we have talked about, Locke is completely, you know, oblivious because he's focusing too much on his fictional girlfriend, Rachel. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think I think there's actually a kinship between Locke and Setzer in in this moment. Insofar as we do have Setzer dreaming of his perfect bride, even though it's, you know, a fantasy, it's a celebrity crush, except that he's got the money and power to make it actually happen by kidnapping her. Locke, on the other hand, has been, in a manner of speaking, kidnapping Rachel for years against her will, waiting for her to wake up, waiting for her to love him. But now, in, in this scene, in this very moment, Locke realizes that Sellas is here. Um, that you know there there is someone immediately apparent, someone who is waiting for him. Um, so you know he transforms like this. As much as this is about Sellas like facing her fears and standing up on stage and being more than just you know a warrior, a general, someone who takes orders. At the same time, we can see Locke is finally figuring out what's going on around him instead of dreaming of what wasn't. And it took fiction and a story and, you know, the artifice of the opera to do it. That's really cool. Yeah. So we have, I think, yeah, you're definitely right that Rachel is, is the ghost here as well as Draco, right? <laughs> this yeah. lost love thing. Cause he, when he dances with her around and around, he ends up turning into the, um, the bouquet. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw all those um, flowers surrounding Rachel. I think that's a that's got to be a kind of uh, echo, a visual echo, or something of of that sort of space. Um, and what she does with the flowers is not hold on to them, right? But throw yeah. them. She throws yep. them off the side, and there's like the uh, the little falling star, shooting star thing mm-hmm. um, that happens there. And sure enough, having done so and gone to do her duty by Prince Ralph's, like for the kingdom, right? right. Um, that's when Draco pops up again. He comes mm-hmm. back, he, he returns, right? And, and more importantly, Locke and- yep. And that's when Locke drops in. Everyone <laughs> else, and sets family, everyone drops in. And, um, and so you have this kind of collision of the two, of the two levels of reality there. So the, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the power of fiction or the, the artifice the spectacle seems to consist in being that thing that teaches you to let go possibly like is how I'm kind of thinking about it now. Um, whereas the, the spirit of science of technology, we've seen that that's bad. Like that tries to extract and, and, um, dominate and control and keep alive artificially in the, in the, in the bad way. Whereas fiction revives and brings to life things in the good way. 
Well, that, and I think it offers some much needed perspective. I mean, all the characters who we've seen who are using technology or even magic to sort of get their wills across guys like Kefka or, um, and like the whole Magitech business, you, you get this sense that they are, you know, artificially inflating their own egos, their own power. Um, they're seizing something that doesn't belong to them and, and damn whoever gets in their way. Uh, you know, Kefka for all of his, you know, ingenuity hasn't figured out that killing espers will actually be more effective than keeping them alive, even though it's right there in front of him. Mm. Um, but by contrast, here we have Locke, who, you know, has been using technology to try and keep his romance alive, but it's, it's the fiction that makes him suddenly aware. You know, what are the consequences of his actions? What is he actually doing here? Is it time for him to you know, take stock of what he has, not what he wants. Um, it's time for Locke to wake up, even as Sellas is sort of growing deeper into the dream. Um, but again, it's it's that perspective. It's the objectivity here that's that's so crucial. Like, it's what Kefka and the Empire lacks. They're unaware of the horrors that they're perpetrating the cruelty that they're doing Locke, on the other hand has been living in a fantasy world and is just now waking up and it takes the fictional story the opera to do that yeah all right I, i'm feeling like i have a bit better handle on this at this point um in the uh in the different kinds of uh what do we call it um epistolary um mm. machinations right? Um, I, I want to just, before we close here, kind of look at that element of it a bit too, because um, we have Setzer, right, who's, who sent this letter um, demanding that he, or basically, you know, promising that he's going to uh, steal Maria during the right. middle of the opera. Very fan of the opera. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. He's like, um, this is my intro into this game. Um, so, hey, here's me, right? And then, mm. okay. So then we have... Ultros, who seems to try to do the same thing, but messes up, right? Right. Here's the letter, nobody reads it, right? Um, what he's doing back in the game at this point, pretty unclear. Just, yep. just fun, right? like, yep. He said he'd be back, and he was. And Here we are. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but, um, but at the same time, right, it is, um, it's, it's a, a kind of love letter um, this whole this whole sequence right is is a kind of message I want to say um, it's subtle like it's very possible to, to miss it I guess mm -hmm. um, or not quite gather what it's throwing to you um, but it's also um, full of good stuff right it's it's full of great um, poetic ingenuity um, and in terms of the gameplay of it, right? In terms of kind of things, the effects that it, it gets out of its medium. Um, it's, it's really um, a piece of bravura showmanship, right? So that, that kind of like direct message being sent, um, I wonder if there is one, like what does it consist in here from the developers to the player? Like what are they trying to get across here that, it has to get across in just this particular way. Um, that I'm not so sure about. Um, as much as I can see 
you know, like how and what it means for each of the characters, I do get the sense that, you know, I mean, if I think about other like stories within stories, and of course there's so many examples, like you've got the play that Hamlet puts on for Claudius and you've got the Arabian Nights with all of their nested stories and you've got, you know, I, like I was just talking to my students today and somebody raised their hand. We're, we've been reading Hesiod's Theogony and they're like, why did we stop the story to talk about Perseus? And I'm like, because that's how myths work. Wow. Um, and you know, usually when you make that move, when you change the perspective, um, on the one hand, it does have like an internal effect. Um, Hamlet convinces Claudius that he is guilty and makes it obvious that Hamlet himself knows. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, if you manipulate the levels of reality, if you break the fourth wall or, you know, create a situation where it gets broken for you it's usually an implication that you have to take the lessons of the story and apply it to you as well or at least question your own situation so i guess if if what the opera does for the characters is sort of wake them up like Locke is oblivious to Sellers' presence and it takes the opera for him to realize his connection to her i guess what we're being told is to reevaluate and revalue the relationships we have in our own lives what people are we overlooking um how many how many of our responsibilities have we waylaid in favor of fantasies and right. you know ridiculous obsessions like <laughs> are we sets or chasing after a fictional person are we lock like moonstruck over this character who is basically dead and we really just need to let go um are we any of these characters trapped in their their own little you know obsessions and world views um because so many of the characters are uh, at this point like edgar and, and sabin are still you know contentious about the kingship and what their responsibilities are with respect to it Cyan is still devastated by the loss of his family. Tara doesn't even know what's going on at this point in time. She is completely oblivious. Um, and Gao is in a relatively similar situation. Like the, he is new to civilized life. Um, so, you know, as much as I, I guess like the theme of this game to this point has been gaining perspective through friendship like using the people around you to to sort of ground your own your own life like you have meaning insofar as the people around you give you meaning the opera is communicating this like yeah. you know what what is your responsibility are you are you dreaming of something that isn't going to happen or are you in fact being you know true to them are you you know, Maria staying true to Draco who will come back or are you Locke staying true to a dream yes. um, who that will never be realized? That, that I think that hits home pretty hard like for somebody who's like playing this game pretty like reading it pretty closely. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah that's good to remember. <laughs> like, yeah. Get to, uh, too wound up in it in all of it you know and that's the comic relief element of it too i suppose yeah and the, there is that absurdity and i think that's that's also important to it like 
you know, opera is comic as much as it is tragic. And this opera contains the entirety of what we would expect from an opera, the jokes included, the like absurd character reveals and, you know, dramatic twists of fate. Like it is, you know, it, it's very, I don't even know how, I mean, you called it a bravura performance. That's, that's pretty accurate. Like it is near nigh melodrama, uh, at points, but the the good kind, the 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 melodrama that elevates instead of the melodrama that belittles, oh, yeah. um, and it sings to you right. This part, like the music, is so good, mm-hmm. um, so cheesy, but so good. And yeah. and they they get some singing notes out of the synthesizer like yep. instruments <laughs> that they had available at the time of this kind of like oh, oh right from yep. the, <laughs> the singers. And then Maria's voice, of course, uh, and it and it really does kind of follow a line. Um, I thought the translator did a pretty good job getting it to kind of rhyme and, um, you know, the and getting the, the rhythms matched up with the yeah. with the music. Yeah, it's it's well done. Not bad, especially at all. by standards. Yeah, and so um, yeah, this oh gosh, okay, so uh, we, I guess, are gonna have to let go of the opera. Um, we Alas. make some good headway with it, but I, I feel like there's dissertations oh, yeah. still to be written. Um, I would have to know more about, uh, again, sort of the, the Final Fantasy canon of such things, because they definitely do this in other games as well. And yep. like think more about what they're up to here. But, uh, but gosh, yeah. Okay, so we are on, we're on the airship. We're headed to Vector. There's a pretty cool, like, um, little sequence where we see vector rising out of the sea like it's huge (laughs) this like pyramid of um steel Mm -hmm. coming up in front of us with the lights going right yep um very yeah so we'll so we'll we'll land at a safe distance and uh i don't know this is like i said the part of the game where i sort of forget what happens next so Mm -hmm. i don't know quite how far we're gonna get for next time. Hopefully we'll be able to infiltrate and rescue some Magisite. Um, yep. yeah. I think that'll be our next move. Um, like cool. I don't think we'll have a whole lot of time to spend outside of the Magitech research facility. So that'll, that'll be our aim. It might be a, a bit of a sprint, but um, it should pay off. Cool, cool, cool. All right, looking forward to it. And we'll finally get to talk more about the espers. Like we don't really have time to use them in this sequence. No. Against the clock, so yep. can't waste time summoning stuff. But uh, I think we'll get a chance to put them to good use in the, in the next sequence here. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks again. That was a lot of fun. I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, we'll go into that a little more carefully. Yeah, it's definitely worth a close look. Yeah. All right. Till next time. Have a good one. You too.